0: Good morning, everybody. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it and turn to Mark chapter two, if you'd like to follow along with us. Um, as you're turning there, I just want to follow up on a sermon that I preached about three weeks ago. Uh, I was teaching from John chapter two, and it was the story of how Jesus turned water into wine. Thank you, Steve. Uh, and the. The purpose, the, the reason that that story is in the Bible is because Jesus is introducing us to a brand new covenant, and He wants us to understand that as He launches into this gospel story. Uh, I've realized, unfortunately, over the last couple of weeks, uh, just from some personal reflection of mine and looking back over my notes, after talking with some of you, uh, spent a, a good amount of time speaking with a mentor of mine and processing that, I've come to realize that, that I poorly communicated when I was delivering that sermon. Uh, I made a mistake, and I just, I just want to apologize before we continue on. Uh, so first off, I made it sound as though Jesus was dismissive of the Old Testament in that sermon, and that's not accurate. What Jesus was dismissive of was the extra laws and regulations that certain Jewish teachers had put in addition to the Old Testament laws. In my passion to make that point, I wasn't as clear as I should have been. Uh, and all of this made it sound as though the Old Testament isn't important anymore, which, which is misleading. Uh, I, I did not communicate these points as clearly as I should have. Uh, furthermore, it's, it's come to my attention that I, I spoke unfairly about some matters of personal conviction. And I think that I've, I've hurt some of you. I think I've offended some of you. And if that's you, I just want to say I'm, I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry about that. Uh, one, one of my greatest joys in life is is being a pastor. I've been doing this for, this is my 13th year of ministry, it feels like forever. Uh, and I consider it a great honor to be able to teach God's Word um, on a regular basis. And I want to do that exceptionally well. So thank you for, thank you for hearing me out on that. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll jump back into this chapter of the Bible in Mark chapter 2, okay? Uh, Father, we love you, and, and we, we need you. Uh, and we need your Spirit in our lives so that we can glorify you and honor other people. Uh, Father, I want to pray that you would open our eyes today as, as we look at these two chapters, as we look at these, these snapshots, these stories of, of Jesus at work with his disciples. I want to pray that you would help us to see you and your mission more clearly, and I also want to pray for myself that you would enable me and speak through me to, uh, to, to speak clearly and in a helpful way this morning. We pray this to you, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so let's uh, jump into Mark chapter 2. Now, if you've been reading along with us in the devotional uh, that, that we have that accompanies this series, it's called Love This Book. If you've been reading along the devotional, credit to whom credit is due. I didn't write this. Someone else did. It's very well done. Uh, if you've been reading in the devotional, you've seen that the title of, of this message or this section of Scripture is Jesus the agitator, and it's because we we come across these kind of short stories, you know, five verses here, seven verses here, of of Jesus encountering different people and and, and saying things that, that agitate people. Now, when we usually use the word agitate, uh, it's usually for petty things, right? You know, so-and-so, they smack their lips when they chew, and it just agitates me. That's, that's, that's not what, what this title is referring to. Uh, this title is referring to the ways in which Jesus spoke of, of himself, how he portrayed himself, and his mission. And it doesn't quite fit the mold, especially of the other Jewish teachers and leaders of the time. He, he agitates them. And so we don't have time to read through all the stories and, and talk through them, but it was in your devotional. You can kind of pray through those and, and work through those. But uh, j- just a real quick snapshot. Early on in chapter 2, we see that Jesus, uh, he does this miracle, and then he equates himself with God by saying that he has the authority to forgive sins. Now, this really agitates the teachers of the law in that day because the Jews already had an authority. They had the Old Testament law. They had the Torah. They had the law of Moses. This, this was their authority. And so Jesus, at different times, he speaks, and people interpret him as, wow, this person has some kind of authority. Now, I'm standing up here and speaking to you, but I'm not speaking about something that I just know in my head or I'm, I'm great at. Nobody would have shown up. I'm, I'm speaking about something that has far more authority than I do, the Bible. And that's, that's why you showed up. You didn't show up to hear me, right? Uh, so when Jesus speaks as one having authority and saying he can forgive sins, it's, it sounds like blasphemy, and this, this really agitates the teachers of the law in those days. In, in the very next story, again, we don't have time to read it, we see Jesus is dining with some uh, sinful people, so to say. And this also agitates some of the Jewish teachers of the law in those days, because people who should be a part of God's family, they, they, you wouldn't see them in these kinds of places. okay? The kinds of party that, that Jesus was at at this time, this is where lawbreakers and not law abiders would be, right? It'd be likely to walk in there and you'd see some shady people, maybe some sex workers. And this this was like this is the kind of place that if you're a Jewish teacher, a rabbi, you, you should not be with this crowd. And so this agitates him that Jesus is hanging out and dining with sinners at this point. And then the very next scene, again, it's just it's like rapid fire, these stories of him butting heads with the Jewish teachers of the law. Here's, here's the next scene. Some people come to Jesus with a question. They say, hey, we've been told, according to our tradition, that we're supposed to fast on certain days. It's, it's, it's prescribed that we're supposed to fast on certain days. We've noticed that your disciples do not fast. I'd like you to explain yourself. How come you don't follow the regulations, the rules, the demands and commands that we follow? Could you please explain yourself? Uh, And we're not going to read through everything that Jesus says in response to that. It's a few verses long. But but I want to pick up on one verse that that he does say. Because there's an an analogy in there that I think is helpful. Here's what he says in verse 22. Jesus says, No one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise the wine will burst the skins. And both the wine and the wineskins are are, both ruined. No, no, no. They pour new wine into new wineskins. Uh, now, this kind of accompanies this sermon that I taught last week, or, or sorry, three weeks ago, uh, talking about this new wine that Jesus introduces. So this time, I just, I just want to slow down a little bit and explain this a little more clearly. And I, uh, I want to explain maybe what we can say and what we cannot say about this concept. Okay? Uh, one thing I think we can all agree on is this is a bit confusing. <laughs> this is a bit, man, what on earth is he talking about here? Now, I don't think the illustration is confusing. All of us can probably pick up on the illustration pretty easy, Right? If you have uh, this, this old material, I mean, it, they didn't have Ziploc bags and things like that in those days. They couldn't reuse stuff. There, so they used animal skins, which are, you know, turned into leather. And so if you put new wine that needs to ferment into these old uh, wine skins, it's, it's, it's brittle, it's become thin, it's become stretched over time. And if you just put it in there, that, that wine's going to ferment, it's going to release gases and expand and It's going to to burst the wineskin. The wine's ruined. The wineskin is ruined. You you can't use any of this. It's it's not compatible. It doesn't go together. So he says instead, what you're supposed to do, and in this day, everybody knew this, right? You put new wine into new wineskins. The new wineskin, it's it's a little more leathery. It's it's, it's more durable and stretchable. It's thicker. It it hasn't been used before. And so so it it expands with the wineskin, and everything is preserved. It all works out well. That part makes sense, right? What doesn't fully make sense quite yet is What's the new wine? What's the wineskin? What, like, what is he talking about? What's, what's the point? What's the metaphor of the story? And maybe, maybe when he was saying this, he went into it, and Mark just didn't have time to write a whole book about it, so he, he just said the quote and moved on. I wish he was more specific, because it leaves us asking uh, a few more questions. But to make this even more difficult to grasp, if you look at these two last words for new, and there's this bottom line, new wine, new wineskin, it says new. In the original language this was written in, that's, those are actually two different words. You see, in English, we only have one word for the word new. We say new. In ancient Greek, which this was written in, there were two different words for new. The first is neos, so you can think neo, neo this or that. And the second word is kainos, so neos and kainos. And the new wine, that is neos wine. It's, that, that word for neos means it is brand new it's never existed before. Sometimes it's used as a, as a naos child. It's a, it's, it's a new human being that has not been around before, right? It's, this, is, this is brand spanking new. This, this wine, this new covenant, as we're going to see, we're going to take communion and talk about this new covenant that he introduces, this is, this is brand new wine. Now, the new wineskins, that is kainos wineskins, it's a newness, not a, not a newness of time, but a newness of quality, it is something that has been around, but it is, it is reshaped, it is remodeled, it is transformed, it is changed. It's, it's something that's been around for a while, but is used in a new way, and it's, it's repurposed in a different way. So the newness that Jesus makes, this, this new wine, this new covenant, it is, it is brand spanking new, but the container, the, the structure behind this new covenant has been in existence for, well, it's Judaism, it's, it's been around for 1,500 years, but he is repackaging it, okay, Hopefully I haven't thoroughly confused anybody at this point. Here's the best way that I can describe this. And this, this, is, how a, this is how a renowned scholar describes it. He says that Jesus is talking about a new era, E-R-E, a, a E-R-A, sorry, a new era that has dawned. So some of the old practices of Judaism, things like the food laws and the purity laws and the Sabbath laws and, and, and the, the rites of circumcision and, and, and so on and so forth that you had to do if, if you were a Jew in those days. So, so some of those things that have been a part of Judaism for a long time, they, they just they don't mix with Christianity. And if you're trying to do that, you end up ripping the two apart. It doesn't, they, they don't go together very well. This is a naos covenant. Here, here's what that scholar says. He says, each of these metaphors teaches us that one cannot mix the old and the new. The new era requires fresh packaging. It's that, it's that wineskin that needs to be repurposed and, and made in a fresh way. So the wine is naos new, brand new, brand spanking new. The wine skin is something that's been around for a while that's being repurposed. It's a kainos container. And so what Jesus is doing is he's taking this old system, right, this Old Testament. He's, he's taking these, these laws in this, 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 this way, the way Judaism had been practiced for hundreds of years. He's taking that and he's reshaping it. And as you see, whenever he brings up the Old Testament law, he always, he says, hey, you've heard it said. This is the Old Testament law. And then he, 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 he speaks of it in He takes an old law and he he speaks of it in a a brand new way. He puts a fresh spin on it. He he, he communicates it in a different way. He's taking an old system and making it new again. Now, in some ways it sounds straightforward. In other ways it leaves us, I have more questions than I even started with before I read this verse. Right now, now my mind is swirling with all kinds of questions. And here's the question that Christians, here's a question. Okay, we've been asking a lot of questions. Here's a question that Christians have been asking ever since the days of Jesus. What do we do with the Old Testament laws. What do we do with it? Are we supposed to obey all these laws? Are we supposed to obey some of the laws, but not others? Uh, are, are some of the laws, you know, moral laws, and we're supposed to follow those? And, and, and then are some of the laws not moral laws? They're ceremonial laws, and so we don't have to obey those. And uh, if, if, if that's the case, who, who chooses which, which bucket I, I put these different things in? So that's, that's the question that has been thrown around and asked for ever since the days of Jesus. Here's, here's what we can say. What we can say is that the Old Testament laws were written in such a way that they they were driving themselves to fulfillment. There was a coming a day in which the the Messiah, in which someone would come and he would fulfill these laws. They were not meant to be carried on forever and eternity. These, These laws were driving towards fulfillment. And Jesus furthermore told us that his death and resurrection were going to be the fulfillment of these laws. Now, George is going to speak next week. He's going to get into more of that language and explain a little bit about what that means. But again, here's the question we're left with. Are, what do we do with the Old Testament? Are we, are we supposed to obey all these laws or not? Here's what a scholar named Tom Schreiner wrote. If you don't know Tom, all you need to know is he's way smarter than me. I put a, I put, if you go to the sermon notes page, I put a, a link to his, his book. You can pick that up if you like. Here's how he answers that question. Yes and no. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> that, that's a literal quote that he actually says. He, he brings up a law, and do we have to obey this? Yes and no. Thanks, Tom. That, that really clears it up for me. I appreciate that, Mr. Schreiner, Professor. Uh, he, here's, here's someone else, and I put a link to this podcast as well. It's a uh, link by, by Tim Mackey. He, he, gives, he gives this illustration that I found very helpful, and maybe it'll be helpful for you. Uh, how many of you play an instrument? Okay? Oh, a bunch of you. Okay, this is awesome. This is awesome. So this, so this, will, this will hopefully make sense. So um, I, I play guitar. There, there's a couple up here. Um, and I remember early on, I was about 14 or so when I picked one up, and early on, all that I ever did with the guitar was uh, a C, okay, index finger, and, you know, middle finger here, and, and just doing that over and over. My fingers were bleeding. They became calloused, I, you know, dry. It was like, and those strings were hard, just over and over, and, and, and eventually I got to the point where I was C, G. C-G-D. It didn't sound like music. It sounded terrible. You can ask my mom, right? (laughs) Because she had to listen to me and my brothers and sisters. And I I practiced the pentatonic scale, right? Do, 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 do. Over and over and over again. Now, how many of you have ever gone to a concert because you wanted to hear the pentatonic scale for two hours? Okay, nobody raises, because we don't want to do that. What we want to hear is we want to use the foundation of, of you know, those kind of things. We want to see that muscle memory put into practice, and we want to see people bounce all up and down the pentatonic scale and, and throw those chords together and make new rhythms that we've never heard before, and, oh, man, it's just, like, that's, that's, what, that's what music is, is driving to, right? Now, when you go to a concert and you hear somebody throw these musical notes together, have they abolished the pentatonic scale? Have they, have they just abolished chord structure? Have they just trampled upon uh, music theory? No, 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 no. They're just applying it in a creative way. So the best way, here's how, here's how Mackie describes this. In the same way, Jesus has intended for his spirit to embed his laws within our hearts so that as we go about our life, our daily life, and we make these ethical choices, we are fulfilling the, the intent. When, when God wrote these laws, he had a purpose for them. And so he hopes for us to, in, to, to, uh, to fulfill the purpose of why God wrote these original laws. Now, I don't know about you, every day or two, I run into an ethical dilemma. Like, oh, what do I, you know, and there's no, like nobody wrote a book on life that answers all my questions. I'm always, you know, what's the right decision here? I don't know, so, so some of you also run into this. Now, usually when I run into an ethical dilemma, I don't always say, I bet Leviticus says something very specific on this. Like that's, a, that's not my first go-to. Now now there, there there's some certain applications. There's some principles I can draw from. But usually what I end up doing, based on my knowledge of what I have read in the Old Testament, based on my knowledge of what Jesus has said and, and, and the New Testament writings and things like that, but based on that, I ask myself, what, 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 what do I think would honor God in this situation? Because one day I believe I'm going to stand before him and he's going to bring up all this stuff and I'm going to have to give an answer. What, what do I think is most honoring to God? What do I think is most honoring to those around me? And when I answer those questions, and when I answer those questions accurately, and I actually do that, in some mysterious way, I am fulfilling those laws. And I think that's, that's the best way that, it's not the way I did, I got it from Tim, but that's, that's the best way that I can describe what we do with these Old Testament laws, Okay. Hopefully that makes a little more sense. Uh, With that said, let's jump into chapter three. Let's go into the next chapter here. So let's jump into the next scene, and I'm going to start in verse seven, and uh, we'll skip that that first scene, verses one through six. So Mark three, starting in verse seven. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. (coughs) Excuse me. When they heard about all that he was doing, Many people came to him from Judea, from Jerusalem, from Idumea, from the regions across Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Now, none of these cities are in central Pennsylvania, so they may sound foreign to us. So I I brought a map with me. Well, I, I emailed it to somebody who brought it. Uh, so, if you look at the map, and I uh, now that it's on the screen, I realize these are super tiny. But uh, down here, near the bottom, near the bottom left, is this region uh, called Idumea. That's mentioned. He mentions uh, the the east of Jordan. you know, on the other side of Jordan. That's on the right side of the screen. Way up at the top, you, like the very top one is Sidon, and then a couple below that is Tyre. So, I mean, this is an enormous region, and and this is before social media. Like, I I don't know how word got out. I don't know logistically how people actually found out where Jesus was going to be. Somehow this happened and they came from all over the place. I mean, they had to leave their farms and jump on donkeys. And I, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine, like there's no live stream button, right? I, I can't imagine, but these crowds have gathered and Jesus has drawn this enormous crowd from all over these regions. Unfortunately, the crowd begins to get a little too big. I mean, this is how many people have gathered to hear this, this teacher. Look at verse nine. Because of the crowd, Jesus told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him, to keep the people from crowding him. He had healed many with diseases, and, and they were pushing forward so they could touch him. And so Jesus, I would have been really excited about the crowds. I would imagine that I would have been handing my disciples clickers. Hey, let's get attendance, and where's the connection cards? You know, I would have, but, but Jesus, he's, he's more, okay, who's, who's willing to grab a boat for me? That's what I need. I need someone to serve with me. Who's, who's going to grab a boat? Hey, You guys. And, th- and we're going to realize that those are, those are part of his inner circle. That's what we're going to see in this story. Now, as we continue on, I want us to pull out from Mark 2 and 3. I believe that Mark is trying to show us Three different groups of people in this story. And they're going to come up all through the rest, of, uh, the, the rest of his letter, the rest of this gospel. It's almost like a camera lens. It's going to zoom in on the scribes and then on the, uh, the crowds and then on Jesus' disciples. So let's, let's talk about these real briefly. First is the scribes. Here's, here's an artist's sketch, a rendition of someone deep in thought. A, a scribe, perhaps a Pharisee. Uh, real brief, brief overview. These, these scribes are called different things. Teachers of the law. Uh, experts in the law, Pharisees, scribes. They're, they're called different things, but in general, Mark is talking about these Jewish teachers and ministers of the day. Some of them copied manuscripts. Some of them worked in the temple in different ways. Some of them were, were interpreters of the Scripture. They, they copied Scripture, maybe. They, 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 they taught the Bible. These, these were people that were very devoted to a life of service to God. Now, one quick note on this. I, I put a link to another podcast that talks about Pharisees by Scott McKnight. You can pull that up in the sermon notes page if you like. In general, I just want to say that we give the Pharisees a bad rep. You know, whenever we hear the word Pharisee, it's, oh man, those people were, were terrible. In this day, however, that's, that's, not the, that's not the most accurate way to describe them. These were upstanding members of society, and it was a, it was a badge of honor to finally become a Pharisee. This, this was, wow, you're, this, this was a renowned position to have. In fact, Later on, the Apostle Paul refers to himself as a Pharisee, not in a bad way. He's, it was a badge of honor for him. So, just, just a quick note on there uh, how these other people around are, are viewing the scribes as we go through the story. Here's the second one the, cr- the crowd. Here's another artist rendition of the crowd. It probably comes, it's probably a drawing from, from this story, actually, of him uh, jumping in the boat and teaching from the boat. And the crowds come up over and over in Mark. Now, the key thing we see about the crowds is they want something from Jesus. Jesus kissed my baby. Jesus, would you feed us again? Hey, somebody, grab a fish. I want to see him do that trick again, right? It's. I mean, hey, Jesus, would you teach us something? Maybe he's going to get in a fight with the scribes again. This is going to be great. I mean, I want you to wow us. I want you to blow us away. I want, I want him to entertain us. I mean, that's, that's what we see from the crowds over and over again. They want something from Jesus. So are they are they following him? I don't know. What do you mean by follow? I mean, I think that's kind of what we're meant to. He, he's got, he's got a, a huge following, but are they Are they following in the way that we mean it when we say it? That's what we're intended to think. And then, of course, we have the disciples. The camera lens zooms in on the scribes at times, on the crowds and how Jesus interacts with them, and then, of course, on the disciples. And uh, let's just, I think we can all agree that this is the most unlikely bunch of young Jewish guys that you can imagine that have some way found their way into Jesus' inner circle. Now, something I think Mark wants us to ask ourselves is this. With these three groups of people, who are the genuine disciples of Jesus? With these three groups of people, who are the ones who are in and, and, and who's out? Who's, who's a real follower? Who's just fooling themselves? Who's, who's, who's in or out? Who's part of Jesus' inner circle and who, who doesn't really quite get it yet? I think that's the intention that he wants us to see. Now, to elaborate this point, I, I thought of this, this uh, old story from childhood. Do you guys ever get, like, these random memories from childhood? Like, where did that come from? Okay, some of you do. Uh, so when I was a kid, I remember my mom and I, we, we, had, we had started a- attending church services together. We, we had started going to this church uh, body together. And I remember uh, as I was a kid, I was, I was uh, riding in the car with my mom. She was driving. And as we're headed to worship services, we passed by like Walmart and some restaurants and things like that. And the, the parking lot's full of all these cars. And I remember it was a very naive question, but I asked my mom, I said, so mom, how come all those people are at Walmart? Why aren't they going to church? <laughs> Very naive question, right? And my mom was gracious. She said, well, Nick, not, 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 everybody, not everybody goes to church. And I, I began to ask a few more questions. And she said, I, I know, but there's, there's some people who, they, yeah, they, they say they're Christian, but they don't, you know, they, they don't maybe have the same practices that we do. They don't, you know, they're not a part of the church. And, and, and we began to sift in that. It wasn't a deep conversation. It wasn't a long conversation, but there's something about it that has burned into my mind. And I think this is why. Because in some way, that's the day where I kind of considered myself as a spiritual accountant. That's the day I began to view myself as having some kind of authority on knowing who's in and who's out. And there's something subconscious about me that, in that on that day, I began to size people up and evaluate who's in and who's out. And in some ways, my peer group almost just kind of just fueled this flame, just kind of made it, uh, made it uh, even, even bigger, this, this mindset that I, I, I can pretty much well determine who's in or out, right? Uh, Especially as I grew up in high school and went into college, my peers and I would would talk about, uh, if you've ever been to North Carolina, there's like 25 brands of Baptists, right? you got to look at the sign, it's kind of fun. So so we were independent Baptists and and we would say, what about the the missionary Baptists? Yeah, 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 they're in. What about the free will Baptists? Well, some of them are. They go in and out. And, uh, what, well, what about the, if you know, if you know some of that, uh, spe- the specific beliefs, you'll understand that joke. But uh, the primitive Baptists, what about them? And then we would get into, what about the, what about the Catholics? What, uh, what, about the, what about the Pentecostals? They're the only ones that look like they're having fun. Can we go be with them? Who's, who's in or out? You know, we, we, would, we, would have, we would honestly have some of these conversations. But you know what never crossed my mind? I don't think I ever stopped long enough to ask myself, am I in or out? No, I'm in. It, it never crossed my mind. And the scribes, they know they're in. It, they don't think to think that, ask that question. The crowds, well, yeah, sure, they're, they're in. But Mark is pointing out, no, 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 the disciples, they are the ones who are Jesus' inner circle. They are the genuine disciples of Jesus. See, I think he intends for us to say that it's not my job to determine if you're in or out. It's my job to ask myself, am I in or I'm out? Am I really following Jesus in the way that He wants me to. I'm not the judge of how other people do that, right? And look at how he defines that. He begins to, well, well, how do I know if I'm a real disciple or if I'm fooling myself? Look at verse 13. Pick it up in Mark 3, 13. Jesus went up to a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, the 12 disciples, the apostles, that they might be with him. I think I I highlighted this in yellow. That they might be with him, And that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And these are the 12 he appointed. We won't read the list, but he goes into the names of these 12 disciples. But here's here's how Jesus defines what it means to follow him. He says, I want people who are going to be with me and to be sent by me. I don't want just crowds of people coming to me. I need someone also to grab a vote for me, right? I I want those who are going to be with me and to be sent by me. So the Pharisees, are they in and out? Well, they're very devoted to the Bible. They're very devoted to interpreting that and following that. They're very devoted to God in different ways and following all the demands and commands of Scripture, but they aren't a part of Jesus' inner circle. They're not with him fully and sent by him. The crowd, yeah, they, they, they love to gather. They love to listen to him. They love to be fed by him. They love to be taught by him. They, hey, heal my mom, you know, they, they, they love that stuff. But are they with him and sent by him? Not, no, they, they're not followers in that sense. The disciples are the ones who are with him and who are sent by him. And Mark picks up on this language a little more. Keep, let's keep reading in verse 20. He, he leaves the mountain with his disciples, and, and they all enter a house. Look at verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house, and again, the crowd gathered. Now, if there's anything Jesus is terrible at, it's playing hide and seek. He just can't get away from these people, right? So, so the crowd finds him somehow once again. They find him. And the crowd, uh, again, the crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. That's pretty strong. And they said he's out of his mind. That's the crowd. And the teachers of the law. Here's the other. Here's the other camera lens. Zooms in on them who came from Jerusalem. They said he's possessed by, uh, by by some kind of demon. But by the prince of demons. That's how he's doing some of these miracles. And here's what I want. Here's what I think. Mark wants us to ask. Of these characters, who's in? And who's out. And he even does it spatially. You see, he, he uses, you know, the Greek ek or ex and the Greek meta, so, so, so the in or the with. Who's, who's in and who's out? And These things come up over and over again. So you have Jesus's relatives are saying he's out of his mind, verse 21. In a minute, we're going to see the crowd is standing outside, verse 31. Then they send someone inside to see if he can come outside with him in verse 31 the disciples on the other hand they went with Jesus in verse 7 they are with him on the mountainside verse 14 they are with him in the house over and over are, are the crowds inside or outside they're outside the house and Jesus is inside the scribes they're outside the house Jesus is inside and I think we're intended to read this story and say am I inside the house or am I outside saying hey Jesus come back out am I am I following him? am I with him and sent by him am, am I am I like one of the disciples in this story he goes full circle in verse 31. A full disclosure, we're going to skip a couple of verses there between uh, the last verse we read and verse 31. It gets into some specific teaching about you know, the blasphemy of the Spirit and some of these concepts that, that just take a lot of time to unpack. So uh, I'm gonna, I don't have time to deal with that adequately, so I won't deal with it uh, in full here. But look at verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, and they are standing, even his own blood relatives, they are standing outside. And they sent someone in, Because they want to call him out, right? And a crowd was sitting around with him. And they told him, hey, your mother and brother, they are outside looking for you. And here's how Jesus responds. He says, who are my brothers and brothers? In some way, I'm I'm forming some new kind of family. I'm I'm forming some kind of new community of people who are my disciples, my followers. Who, Who are my mother and brothers? And he looked around and he said, it's the people with me and sent by me. It's the people that are here with me and whoever does the God's whoever does God's will who whoever is with me and whoever is sent by me those those that's those are the people that are in my inner circle those are the ones who are my genuine disciples so here's what i'll leave you with are you in the house or are you outside the house <laughs> i think that's i think that's what mark wants us to ask am i am i in or am i out and don't look around at the person beside you. You're not, that's not your job. Your job is to ask, am I in or out? How, how does your daily life reflect these two ideas of being with Jesus and being sent by Jesus? And if you want to talk about that further, if, if you're not sure how you would answer that question, if this, is, if this is new to you or maybe you're coming back to church after being out for a while, or, you know, whatever the case was, after the service, we're going to have members of our prayer team up here, and they would love to either talk with you or just pray with you if you just want to pray with somebody. But that's the question we're left with. Am I I in or or am I out? Am am I I a genuine disciple of Jesus? Is my life reflected in these ideas of being with Jesus and being sent by Jesus? Now, with that said, we're going to enter into a time of communion, so something that the church has done for 2,000 years now as a fellowship over being with and being sent by Jesus. And this is a sacrament that we do once a month here at Hershey Free, and it, it reminds us of the forgiveness that Jesus offers for our sin it also reminds us of the community that we have here as his disciples. And as, as the worship team gets started, they, here's, here's something that I read this last week that I'll just, that I'll just toss out to you. There's two questions that came up in this book I read. Instead of asking, what's God's plan for my life? What if you were to ask, how can my little life fit into his plan? I thought that was an intriguing question. And the other was this. Instead of asking, what kind of mission does God have for me? What if I were to ask, what kind of me does God want for his mission? That's one of the ways that we can be with and be sent by Jesus.